This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Vital Statistic. Hey, boy. Give me a paper, will you? Paper, mister? Yes, sir. What do you like? Races, comics, or classified? How about some news? Star? Here you are. Thank you. Paper! Get out of my way! Hey, take it easy. Drive away from here. Fast. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is this? You've got to help me. I'm being followed. Oh, just a minute, sister. I think you're The light's green. Tell... Drive, will you? Hurry, please. Okay, okay. She was streamlined. From close-cropped hair, the color of a smoky sunset, to low-heeled slippers, brocaded in bronze. And in between, a dress that conformed as close and smooth as lacquer on a Chinese vase. I made four turns in four blocks and pulled into the curb and stopped. She stabbed a look at me with a pair of sharp, jade green eyes that said life had always been nothing but a calculated risk. Then she stepped out of the car and smiled. You were a big help, brother. Thanks, and goodbye. Uh-uh, not just like that, baby. Come here. I don't like being left out on a limb. Now, look, you did me a favor, okay, but we drop it right here trouble you wouldn't like it on the contrary it's business like keeping my own nose clean i'm a private detective but i didn't issue any invitation for you to jump into my car a private detective yeah who's chasing you baby the law you can tell me out here on the street or inside over a drink i'll take the drink i need it yeah. maybe i need you too this might be a break i'm mrs terry labar and you're um marlo philip marlo who are you running from mrs labar a woman in slacks I don't know who she is or why she's following me, but every time I look back, she's there. This is the second day. Booth? Yeah, sure. Say, look, why haven't you talked it over with your local policeman? Are you working for me, private detective? It all depends. All right. I'm a merchant, Chinese silks. Not a little shop for 6% profit, but wholesale quick with cash at 40%. Uh-huh. So what's the point? No police. All it takes is a rumor of police, and I'll have doors closed on me from Seattle to Mexico. Good evening. May I get you something? A martini, please. Make it two, waiter. Yes, sir. Right away. This gets us back to the woman in slacks, huh? Yeah. Here, Marlo. Fifty and fifty. Hundred dollars. I want you to locate that woman, find out who she is and why she's after me. Will you? Not without a few more facts. For instance, could she have some connection with your business? No. I have two men working with me. A strong one named Harlan Casey, who sees that my cash gets safely to where it's going. And a smart one named Joe Temple, who knows what to buy with it. She doesn't belong to either of them. Oh, you sure? Positive. Casey hates all women. Even me, I think. <laughs> and Joe Temple... Well, Joe's a wonderful guy. You hint like a woman falling in love with a fellow named Joe Temple. Care to talk about it further? Why not? Temple and Casey have been in San Francisco all week on a deal. A big deal that'll make or break us. Every cent I have is tied up in it. Oh. Well, what about you and Joe Temple? Yeah. Well, perhaps this will explain. I planned to go away this weekend, but I changed my mind because I didn't want to miss his letters. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but it's true. Those must be some letters. They are. Like the one I got this morning. 
It's half business, all right. Complete account of how hard he and Casey worked for me yesterday in San Francisco. But the rest of it is to me, personally. I don't want to sound old-fashioned, Mrs. LeBar, but what about... My husband? Yeah, yeah. That was a mistake I couldn't live with. One thing I can't stand, Marlo, is being lied to. It leaves me vindictive. I'm suing for divorce right now. Vince Labar is a human leech, as cold and spineless and parasitic as the real thing. Okay, but why would your hating your husband put a woman in slacks on your trail? I don't know. All right, Terry, I'll worry about that, too. Any idea where I can start? Just one. I pulled a switch on her yesterday, Marlo, for about an hour. I trailed her to the corner of Wilshire and La Cienega, then lost her in traffic. There are several dancing schools around there. Is that worth anything? Maybe. What kind of car was she driving? We were both walking. She's tall and brunette. And I've seen toads with nicer eyes. Not enough. Can't guarantee anything. I'll keep my fingers crossed, Marlo. Here, take the hundred. Oh. Do what you can and report to me at my place, 204 Beechwood Circle. Okay? Pardon, sir. Your drinks. Two martinis. Oh, thanks. Here. Thank you, sir. To your success, private detective. To your health, silk merchant. Drink hearty. Slugging it down was no way to treat a good dry martini, but I figured it was time I was on my way. I drove out to Wilshire and La Cienega and slowed down enough to look at all four corners. There was a drugstore with a special on garbage cans, a drive-in called Scotty's, a branch of the Bank of Los Angeles, and a flying red horse over a mobile gas station. I drove on again when I spotted a pair of black slacks going into a dancing studio a half block down. It looked like a lead. After two hours of staring at knobby knees and shorts and bulging hips and bloomers, all knocking themselves out for a mythical Klieg-lighted future, I was finally convinced that it was a dead end. Now I got back into my car and headed up into the hills for Beechwood Circle in the slim hope that Terry could give me something more to go on. Her house at 204 was low and dainty and half-hidden behind the tough, slender grace of a bamboo grove. The walk was guarded by a white marble lion of Korea in the front door when I finally found it. Turned out to be a sliding panel in a wall of oriental lattice work. As the door slid open, I was looking down the barrel of a snub-nosed pistol held very steady in the hands of a hard-eyed brunette in a pair of black slacks. You've been looking high and low for me, haven't you, Peeper? Ever since you left that dame. I might have been. You're not the brightest character in the world, in spite of what you and your friends think. I spotted your car when she got in. It wasn't too tough to tag. Where's Terry? Sleeping off a hangover from better days. Skip the chatter. Where is she? Come on in and look. And that's no suggestion, sailor. It's an order. Move. Over there to the top of the stairs. Sure, sure. That's a good smart boy. You're late, you know. I got what I came for, and now I'm in a hurry. Turn around. Look, sister. Shut up! Hey! Ten stairs down to the basement. And with a shove reinforced by the 45, I hit all but the first three. By the time I worked all the kinks out and was back upstairs again, she was gone. I started through the house, then slowly from one room to another, turning on lights as I went, looking for what I knew was going to be a very sick client. When I got as far as the study where somebody had gone through the desk drawers with what must have been a snowplow, and I still hadn't found Terry, I got that numb feeling in my stomach. I started out a side door that opened into the patio. But then I heard a whistle from the front walk. I cut back through the house instead and waited near the door. Terry! Hey, Terry, can I come in? It's little Joe, the Frisco kid. <laughs> what happened to your weekend trip, honey? I... 
Who are you? What do you want? Hiya, Temple. How do you know me? Mrs. LeBar hired me today just after she canceled the weekend. She gave me a rundown. She hired you? What do you mean? I'm a private detective named Marlowe. Why would she hire you? Because she was being followed by a brunette in slack. She didn't like it, and that's all the information you're going to get, so relax. You say Terry isn't here? Isn't home? Not so far, no. Come on back here to the study, Temple. I want you to look at something. Somebody's gone through the desk in an awful hurry. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Maybe you know something about what's missing, huh? You and Mrs. LeBar were fairly close, from what I'm told. The letters. The letters are gone. Terry kept my letters in this bottom drawer. Oh. By the way, Temple, where's your sidekick, Harlan Casey? Oh, I don't know. We, we both left San Francisco yesterday. He hates to fly, so I assume he took a train. He ought to be here in L.A. now. I... Well, you don't think Casey's mixed up in this, do you? I don't know. It could be. Vince Labar. That's who it was that got those letters. It was Vince Labar. They were really love letters. The business part was nothing. And Labar is the dog-in-the-manger kind of guy who wants everyone to be unhappy if he that is. That fits, that fits, Temple. With a smart lawyer, your letters to Terry becomes grade-A material for a countersuit for divorce. Sure, he could make it stick and also get a fat settlement under community property laws. Now, listen, here's what you've Marlo. got. Marlo. Marlo, it's... it's Terry. Terry! Temple, Terry! wait! Terry! Look at her, Marlo. Look at her! Lieutenant Matthews, homicide detail. Marlo Matthews, there's a dead one out here. A woman got a pencil? Always. Go ahead, Marlo. I'm at 204 Beechwood Circle. A woman was a client. Circle. Yeah, go on. She was strangled with a green silk sash from my loungy pajamas, Matthews, sometime within the last, uh, I'd say, hour. Yeah. Her name was Terry Labar. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Terry I... Labar, wait a minute, Marlo. Listen, we got a teletype here from a sheriff in Empire, Oregon, come in five minutes ago. So? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Says some guy named Jess Freeman from L.A. was killed there this morning in a traffic accident. Was loaded with big dough, but doesn't look the type. And the only other identification on him was a business card from one Terry Labar. Yeah. You got a helpful answer for that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Temple, do you know anything about a man named Jess Freeman? He was killed in Oregon today in a traffic accident and had one of Terry's cards on him. Freeman? Yeah. No, no, I don't remember him. No dice, Matthews. Who are you talking to? Uh, Joe Temple, one of Terry Labar's associates. He's here. Never heard of Jess Freeman. Yeah. Okay, Mullum. Uh-huh. Well, they sent his prince to Washington. A tattoo says he was in the Navy once. They'll pin him down. Now, uh, about out there, any idea who killed him? Yeah. Maybe a brunette in slacks. I think I know where to find her. Well, it's dandy. Sit on it till we get them. I'll be right out. Wait a minute, Lieutenant. What? Look, right now it's only a hunch, but if I move fast and quiet, I might be able to develop it into something worthwhile, okay? Uh, okay, but keep in touch, Phil. Yeah, yeah. I still can't believe it about Terry Marlowe. Now, I... look, look. Why don't you just go home and take it easy? I'll tell Lieutenant Matthews where he can find you, huh? Thanks. Uh, 1310 Marlborough Drive. Right. Now, tell me, you know where Vince Labar lives? Yeah, yeah. The Laverne Apartments on Rossmore. Uh-huh. He's got a suite on the top floor, 7A. 7A. And uh, if it's any help, he drives a new green Nash sedan. But I thought you said that it was that brunette who... I did, I did. And if Vince Labar can't lead me to the lady in long pants, I'll eat my shirt. What's more, Matthews will see to it personally. <laughs> What do you want? Some quiet conversation with Vince Labar. I'm Philip Marlowe, private detective. Oh, how exciting. Had I known you were coming, I'd have baked a cake. Oh, you're breaking me up. 
I was hired by your wife tonight. Your wife here. is dead, Labar. She was murdered. Dead. Terry murdered? Yeah. Now, if you don't mind, I'll come in, huh? She was killed because of a packet of letters, Labar. Oh, no. Kind that are a cinch to cause a big stir in anybody's divorce court. Stir big enough to swing a countersuit in your favor. I don't know what you're talking about. Letters, letters, letters. Joe Temple's letters to Terry, the ones you arranged to have stolen tonight. Oh, you must be crazy. Her death wasn't part of the plan, Labar. That was one of those bum deals. A robbery that got out of hand, wound up as a murder. Oh, no, wait. Now, where is she, Labar? Who's the brunette in slacks, and where do I find her? You get out of here, or I'll have the police help you. Oh, shut up. You not only steal letters, but ashtrays, too, huh? Like this coy little number here, a doghouse. Scotty's drive-in, Wilshire and La Cienega. (laughs) Okay, Labar, that's all. Stand still. Oh, now a gun, huh? (laughs) They say you're yellow, Labar, but you're not. You're just stupid. There's a terrace outside those doors, Milo. Those with the iron grill. Go on out there. Go on. I don't think Terry's dead, and I don't think she hired you. I think you're working for that lousy louse Joe Temple, and if so, he'll need a battalion of private detectives before I'm through. You're through right now, LeBoy. You're too dumb to see it. Go on. Clear over to the rail. Keep your back to me. It's seven floors down, Milo, to a concrete driveway. Just in case you get jumpy. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, most people like to know what to expect. But on at least one CBS show, a great part of the fun is in what turns up on the spur of the moment. That show is Groucho Marx's great quiz, You Bet Your Life, heard every Wednesday night on most of these same CBS stations. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Vital Statistic. The moment Vince Labar in the Courage Caliber 32 he held in his right hand made it out of the apartment and on the run to the elevator, I kicked through the plate glass door. And I spent the next two minutes alternately swearing, straining, and nicking myself while I played contortionist. In and out of the fancy snake grill work in my wrought iron cage until finally I reached the inside handle. And I was free out and over to the telephone in a big hurry. Because for my money, the icing on Labar's voice left Joe Temple someplace on the short side. What the life insurance people call good risk. Hello? Marlowe Temple, listen hard. Your life's in danger. What? Labar, you had him tagged from the first. He's after those letters, all right. But what about the girl in slacks? Well, I think she might have a connection with a drive-in on Wilshire and La Cienega, a place called Scotty's Inn. I'm going to check it. Now, tell me, any word from Terry's muscle man yet? Harlan Casey? Yeah. No, nothing, Marlowe. But look, can't I meet you and talk no, to you? No, no, Vince Labar had a gun and a short temper when he left here. I'll make this work any easier. Just stay away from open windows, Temple. I'll call you. Scotty's Inn was eating on the run in the finest California tradition. A mammoth circle of steel under glass painted a dazzling yellow and blue, surrounded by a half a dozen cars containing teenaged couples with smudged lipstick and the giggles. The second after I pulled in and parked, something in slacks with false eyelashes, a waist you could span with a handcuff, and a fixed frontline chorus girl's smile flipped the card marked ginger against my windshield. Handed me a menu that still had the froth from an earlier customer's milkshake in one corner. Well, it be, mister. Just coffee, ginger. Cream? Uh-uh, information. Oh, it's you again. Huh? Look, baby, what I told you on the phone ten minutes ago still goes, huh? About what? About Rose Facetta, the girl you described. 
Long black hair, a nice shape. You're infatuated, but you don't know the name and address. So I was nice. I gave the name, told you to look the address up in the phone book, period. Don't be so lazy, baby. Wait a minute, Ginger. I didn't call you before, but that dime cup of coffee will bring you a ten-buck tip if you tell me who did. Hey, you want the guy who called. I don't know any names, but you're not him. Hmm. He didn't talk up like you do. But what's all the fuss, baby? Rose facetta has got a guy. She's spoken for. Besides, a handsome fellow like you should... Sweetheart, sweetheart, this is business, strictly, believe me. Oh. What's the address? Come on. 2428 Havenhurst Drive, bottom floor. Thanks. Here, here's a ten I promised you. No, never mind. Hmm? The name was free to him, so why should I charge you? Besides... Besides what? I like the way you said sweetheart. (laughs) Come on back sometime, will you, baby, when you want more than coffee? Okay. When I want more than coffee and less than murder, I will. Stay out of it, Ginger. Definite double talk, but the effect was what I wanted. Ginger with mouth wide open and staring after me like my ears were on backwards. That way, she might be scared out of making a simple curiosity spike telephone call to the popular Rose Facetta, which would trumpet my arrival loud, clear, and prematurely. Ten minutes later, I was parked away from number 2824 Havenhurst. As I got out of my car and started toward the place, I found Vince Labar's green sedan on the opposite side of the street and carefully tucked into the shadows of a pair of long-haired pepper trees. It was a good time for me to be careful. So when I knocked on the front door, which showed yellow light at the threshold and was the starting point for something not too close to music, I did it with the butt end of my thirty-eight. Yeah, who is it? Ziggy, friend of Ginger's. She asked me to deliver you a message, Rose. Oh, all right. What's the message, friend? Why, you loud... Don't try it, sunshine. There's no law against shooting ladies who knock you downstairs. Now back off. Come on, move, but not too far. The moment I want you in between me and Vince Labar. Who? Look, Angel, it's all real plain. Those suitcases behind you there are packed. His car's outside. He's after the letters. Oh, no. <laughs> there goes Vince now, Buster. Well, Peeper, your opener stinks. Get inside fast. Sure, sure. Any place in particular, sailor? That chair near the desk. Keep your hands in your lap. Okay. If it'll please you, Mr. Detective, I'll be very glad to. After all, you're my guest, and I should be nice to you. Now we talk like a little lady, huh, Rose? Vince Labar picked up the letters from you as scheduled, and you're getting ready to run because you killed Terry, and you'd rather not be around for the question and answer period, right? I didn't kill her. I, I just knocked her down. No. You didn't kill her. You just slowed down her breathing somewhat with a pajama sash. You're wrong, copper. I Skip only... it. Doesn't add any other way. Go on, answer it. Who is it? Mr. Shirley. What's going on in there, Mr. Setter? Landlord. No, the jerk who lives in the top half of this place, along with a few thousand Mr. French Mr. Setter, if you don't open this door, I'm going to call the police. I distinctly heard a noise. And I Come on in, Mr. Shirley. Well, what? Well, what's going on in here? Who are you? Never mind that. Now get on the phone. Call the police. Uh, oh. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, certainly. Operator, oh, operator, I want the police. 2824 Havenhurst. Look, Star. hero, yes. you're a little mixed up about some things. Yeah, and you're just a kid to straighten me out. Those letters you got at Terry's place were written by Joe Temple. Was your boyfriend Vince heading for Temple when he left here? I can't. Try hard, sister. Oh, all right, all right. Maybe he was. Now leave me alone. Not quite. Hey, you, Mr. Shirley. Oh, yes? In that desk next to you, there's a gun. Keep it on until the law arrives. Oh. Ladies wanted for murder. Well, yes, but what if she should... Yeah, then shoot, Shirley, fast. Because if you don't, she'll kill you. 
Tell the cops I'll fill in the blanks later. Oh, now, wait. Why must you leave? Why don't we both watch? Because a guy named Joe Temple needs my help a lot more than you do. The home address Temple had given me turned out to be lights in a quiet house on a quiet street named Marlboro. I was there out of my car and running for the front door when they came. Chucked my gun out of the holster, got close into the building, and moved up until I was on a line with a pair of half-open patio doors. And I saw something I hadn't expected. On the floor that was littered with a broken lamp, pieces of vase, and overturned furniture was Vince Labar, doubled up, dead. And standing over him, his face the color of soft cement, a 32 dangling in his limp right hand, was Joe Temple. When he saw me, he tried to talk, but the words jammed in his throat. Oh, oh. When I stepped into the room, he began to tremble. Oh, I, I shot him. I couldn't help it. He was gonna... Sit down, Temple. Get hold of yourself. You got any brandy around? Over on that table near the phone. No. He was out of his mind, Marlowe. An absolute maniac. He said he was gonna kill me. So you lunged for him. There was a fight and you came up with a gun, huh? Yeah. And when he started for me again, I, I pulled the trigger. And then I did it again. And a third time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Drink this. He brought the letters back, Marlowe. They're inside on the floor where he threw them. He said they didn't mean anything anymore. That he and that girl in the slacks had taken care of Terry. Take it easy, the... Temple, easy. He seemed to go crazy. He said I was a wife stealer, the cause of his trouble, and that I deserved death. Well, that's when I jumped at him. It was terrible, Marlowe. Yeah. Well, between the two of us, we've just about got all the answers, which is usually a good time to call the police, huh? Well, what do you mean, just about got all the answers, Marlowe? What else is there? Jess Freeman. The guy Lieutenant Matthews told us about when we were over at Terry's place, remember? Oh, yes, that traffic crash in Empire, Oregon. But why should that figure in this, Marlowe? It shouldn't, but uh, I think it does. I'm inside, Detective Lieutenant Matthews speaking. Marlowe Matthews, yeah. another dead one on the Terry Labar case. Oh, no. Yeah, Vince Labar, her husband, he was shot. Uh, who did it, Marlowe, do you know? Yeah, a guy named Joe Temple. It was self-defense. We're coming in, Matthews. I'll take that gun, Temple. You get the letters, let's go. When we got into my car and started downtown, Temple was more relaxed. And he talked easily until we passed Vince Labar's sparkling green sedan parked a block away. Once again, close into the shadows, and once again, empty. Real empty. The sight of it closed him up tight for the rest of the trip. When we walked into police headquarters and through the quarter of a mile of glossy corridor leading to the door marked homicide, he didn't open up any. But it didn't matter, really, because it's police rule never to talk to two men about the same thing at the same time. And I was first. Matthew said hello without shaking hands, waved me into an uncomfortable seat, and then lit his pipe while I brought him up to date. And it was his turn. So Rose Facetta killed Terry Labar so that she could get the letters Joe Temple had written, huh? Mm-hmm. Did this so that her boyfriend, Vince Labar, could raise a lot of fuss in divorce court with the letters, file a countersuit, that kind of stuff? That's the whole deal. Yeah, with Temple making it a doubleheader by shooting Vince when Vince came to kill him. That's it, Matthews. Yeah. If you believe Temple. Huh? And if Temple hadn't slipped. All right, now what are you getting at, Phil? That when I was on the phone with you earlier at night, you asked me if Temple or I knew anything about a Jess Freeman who was killed in a traffic accident in Empire, Oregon? Right, right, but you didn't. No, no. Nor did I mention the town of Empire to Temple. Ooh. Yet a half hour ago, just before I called you, Temple came up with that name. Oh, then Molly, you... Oh. Hold my calls, Mooney. 
Marla, you mean I tell- mean that Joe Temple killed Terry Labar. Rose just knocked her out and got the letters. Temple strangled her while she was still unconscious. Yeah, but why? Because a guy identified as Jess Freeman got himself killed in a traffic accident. So? A guy who I think was actually Holland Casey, Terry's two-fisted assistant, who together with Joe Temple was crossing the boss lady. Yeah, but Marla, And that left look- Temple in a very hot spot. To save himself, he had a kill. Can you prove all this, Marlowe? No. Not a word of it. It's conjecture. But conjecture that fits, Matthews. Yeah. When Temple found Terry unconscious in the garden, that was his chance. He took now it. Now, look, Phil. Phil, you're guessing at night. Sure, sure I'm guessing. But not in the dark. I know how these guys think and act. I've done too many cases not to know. Now, listen for a minute, will you, Matthews? Phil, I got Will you listen? Facts. All right, okay. Now, look. Temple had to get those letters back, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the last one in particular, because in the last one, this is the way it's got to figure. He had lied to Terry about being in San Francisco with Casey yesterday. When actually, Casey was in Empire, Oregon. Yeah, when Casey was killed up there, the fact was bound to come out. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good reason. Matthews, will you let me finish, please? All right, finish. Temple knew Terry would find out. He knew that she couldn't stand a liar and a partner who'd double-cross her. Temple knew that she'd get him and ruin him if it took her the rest of her life. So he came back to get the letter before she could read it, but she hadn't left town as planned, huh? Ironically enough, because she didn't want to miss one of his letters. Yeah, but look, I'm a policeman, Phil. I gotta have facts. All right, all right, you're the policeman. You got labs and technicians. You'll get the facts. And I'll bet you it figures just like I say. Okay, Phil, okay. And another thing, Matthews. What? When you talk to Temple, who's holding the packet of letters now like a real good boy... Yeah? You'll find the last one missing. It'll be in his pocket. I'll bet you on that. Well, that ought to do it, Lieutenant. Yeah, with one exception, Phil. Huh? How did Temple maneuver all this? Getting the letters from Rose Facetta, then setting up that self-defense deal. I don't know. But my guess is that Vince got the letters from Rose just before I arrived at her place. But when he got into his car... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Temple was waiting, slugged him, drove back to his own house, dropped the body in the living room, shot him when he heard you coming? Something like that, Matthews. Uh-huh, uh-huh. See if you can't get it out that way. Yeah, well, huh? don't worry, Phil. If it's true, we'll get it out. It'll be true. Oh, uh, now would you ask Mr. Temple to come in, please, Mr. Mullo? I'll be glad to, Lieutenant. Uh... Say, Temple, Lieutenant, would like to see you. All right, Marlowe. I, I think I can speak coherently now. Good, good. They like to get the facts straight in there. Go ahead. Yes, of course. Good night, Marlowe, and thanks for your help. Oh, good evening, Mr. Temple. Sit down and start talking. I got into my car, the new day was starting to push the black out of the sky. And the early morning air smelled fresh and cool and clean. Yeah, the whole night had been confused and complicated. But I knew that by the time Matthews had finished with Temple, there'd be no questions left unanswered. <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? If everything could be that way. No questions left unanswered. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Gerald Moore may currently be seen starring in Republic's The Blonde Bandit. <laughs>
Featured in the cast were Charlotte Lawrence, Elliot Reed, Dora Singleton, Georgia Ellis, Bill Lally, and Hugh Thomas. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dobkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a bride-to-be, a corpse in a plush bungalow, and a southern drawl behind a gun all had one thing in common. They moved through the same deep shadow. Remember, you'll find George Burns and Gracie Allen and their good friend Bill Goodwin here on most of these same CBS stations every Wednesday night in the half hour following the Bing Crosby Show. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now stay tuned for Pursuit, which follows immediately. This is CBS, where Burns and Allen are heard every Wednesday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time a bride-to-be, a corpse in a plush bungalow, and a southern drawl behind a gun all had one thing in common. They moved through the same deep shadow. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Deep Shadow. Hello. Uh, Mr. Philip Marlowe, please. This is Marlowe. Oh, my name is Harvey Kettering, and I'm to be married in four hours at nine sharp. Oh, congratulations. I hope you'll be very happy. But my bride is gone. Disappeared. I, I need your help. Now, look, if you've been left waiting at the altar, I can't... Oh, no, 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 it's nothing like that. She's in, she's in trouble, Mr. Marlowe, I'm sure. Oh? Shirley loves me. Now, I'll pay anything you say, 200, 300, anything, only get out here fast, please. Now, wait a minute. Where is here? 3840 Sunswept Drive. 
It's a studio city just across the hills mm. from Hollywood. 38 Take 20. Laurel Canyon. Well, now, look, Mr. Kettering, oh, please, I... Please, Mr. Marlowe, please. Okay, okay. All right, Mr. Kettering, I'll see you. The address he gave me turned out to be a healthy chunk of old Spain. A whitewashed house that spread out for at least 100 yards under a pink-tiled roof. As admitted by a butler with owl eyes, no shoulders, and a small bay window, and we played follow the leader over cool marble, ankle-deep Persian rug and inlaid Philippine mahogany. Finally, I was ushered into the ballroom, which was big enough for a highlight match. It was decked out for a wedding from the champagne buckets and dead-over-ice lobsters to a pink rose-covered canopy at the center. And in the middle of it all, chained smoking while he worried, was my new client, Harvey Kittering. Oh, Mr. Marlowe, I'm afraid there isn't a moment to lose, so I'd better tell you what I know quickly, uh, but uh, let's step outside on the patio. All right, Mr. Kettering. Uh, Mr. Marlowe, last night, Shirley and I What's went What's the full name, Mr. Kettering? Doyle, Shirley oh. Doyle. Oh, yes, here. Uh, here's a snapshot of her. Mm-hmm. She's 25, blonde, and as you can see, Mr. Marlowe, very attractive. You're so right. You started to tell me about last night. Oh, yes. Uh, we were out together at a nightclub, the Blue Chip. On Ventura Boulevard? Oh, yes. Now, we'd never been there before, yet I think that's where it started. What do you mean, started? Well... When we were leaving the place about midnight, I called a cab. I was just giving the driver Shirley's home address, the Moorpark Court Apartments, when suddenly she told me to get in and told the driver to start at once. You know why? No, I thought perhaps she'd she'd seen somebody coming from the club. But when I asked her about it, she said it was just her nerves, since tomorrow is her wedding day. I see. Then today she was supposed to call, but she didn't. At two, I called her. Talked to her? No, she was gone. Mm. But I talked to the day maid... She said when she arrived, she brought in a note that had been left outside Shirley's door. There's one of those leave-a-message pads in a box on her porch rail. Mm-hmm. She said it seemed to upset Shirley terribly. M- Mr. Marlowe, what are we going to do? Well, now, look, have you been over there to Shirley's place? No, I haven't. Mm. Got a key? Yes, I do. All right, Mr. Kettering, you have the key, so let's go. But uh, what shall I do about the guests? The, the Nothing mis- right now. We may be lucky. <laughs> There are only three rooms, Mr. Marlowe. Uh, uh, what do you suggest we do? Well, first, let's look for that note. She may have left it here somewhere. Oh, you try the bedroom. I'll start with the wastebasket. Full of papers. All right. Just as you say, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, sure. Uh, Endicott Clinic. 321 North Rossmore. Say, um, Kettering, what does Shirley do for a living? Oh, she was a receptionist, Mr. Marlowe, at a medical clinic on Rossmore. Well, that figures. Oh, uh, Mr. Marlowe. What? Mr. Marlowe, I found it. The, the note the maid spoke of, it's the same paper written with a soft pencil like the one attached to that box outside. It was on her dresser. Now give it here. Let's see it. Dear Shirley Doyle, guess who I ran into last night? Francis Dragato. Suggest you meet me at the corner of Ventura and Woodsett Boulevard at 10.30. Not signed, huh? Is Francis spelled with an E? Yeah, yeah, the girl's name. I've never heard Shirley mention any Francis Dragato, mm. and a public street corner wouldn't be much of a place to check five hours after people met, would it, Mr. Marlowe? No, I suppose not. Uh, Mr. Marlowe, what, what have you got? What is it? Hmm? Oh, a page torn out of the classified directory, a listing of theatrical agencies. Line through by pencil from A down to C. Well, the last one crossed out is Capital Artist. Yeah, that makes Drake Talent Agency next. Well, she never had anything to do with show business, Mr. Marlowe. What do you think it means? I don't know. Uh, you going to check with the Drake Agency? No, my first stop's going to be where you were last night, the blue chip. I know the owner, Eddie Shaft, and Eddie knows an awful lot, including things that, uh, aren't always exactly his business. Maybe able to help us if he wants to. Uh, sh- shall I come along, Mr. Marlowe? No, no, you go home, Kettering. 
I'll try to deliver your bride before nine. All right. Uh, oh, shall I pay you now? I will let it go, COD. I haven't the slightest idea what I'm going to run into. The snapshot of Shirley Doyle, my client had given me, reminded me of the kid you went to school with. You know, she had the kind of well-scrubbed look you knew was quick to smile, but I knew that she could be in a lot of trouble if she was tied in at all with the dapper Eddie Shaft. After dark, the blue chip was one of those cozy, soft lights melting on thick drapes kind of places. It made you forget all about the stiff prices for limp food. But now, at a little better than five in the afternoon, under wide-eyed, unblinking work lights, it had all the cushion come hither of a union hall. In one corner, a skinny musician with a golf ball complexion was working over a clarinet, while in the middle of a dance floor with no more diameter than the hole in a candy lifesaver... A girl was standing on a piano stool. She was smoking and looking straight ahead at nothing. Her red shingled hair, promise of a nose and plunged neckline, tagged her as the singer on the posters outside. One Miss Corky Netherlands. The place is closed, soldier. Glad you told me. Never would have known. Never mind the routine, soldier. Just come to the point. What do you want? Uh, just a few words with the boss. Eddie around? No. No, he's not. Uh-huh. How about his bungalow in Coldwater Canyon? You mean it hasn't hit the papers yet? What's the connection between Eddie and the headlines? Soldier, Eddie was stabbed to death sometime this morning. You've got to be kidding. Sometime between 9 and 11, the cops say. Well, so long, sir. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, Corky. You have any idea who did it? No, except that maybe it was a Dane. Any description on it? The law isn't gabby about things, soldier, believe me. If you don't, try Eddie's bungalow yourself and find out. All right, you guys. Now, hush it up, will you? Oh, yeah, and Mooney, don't forget to have that fingerprint crew go over his other car on that back porch rail. Okay, Lieutenant. Hey, can they start the body downtown now? Yeah, I guess so. We're not going to get any smarter staring at Hiya, Matthews. Huh? Oh, hello, Phil. What brings you up here? Curiosity. I was in the neighborhood. What's the setup? I hear it's supposed to be a woman. Could be. Where do you hear this? Singer over at the Blue Chip, Corky Netherlands. Oh, her. Yeah, well, she's clear. She yeah. was home right up until noon, and she can prove it. Mm-hmm. This happened a little before noon, an hour or so. But it was a woman, all right. What makes you so sure? Oh, Phil. Fresh lipstick on a glass and a cigarette, a kitchen knife for a murder weapon, etc. No. Also, some long-nosed neighbor saw a girl. Said she was young, maybe blonde. She wasn't sure. Saw her run out of here a little after 11 this morning. Mm Mm-hmm. All this uh, adds up to somebody in particular, huh? Well, it should, Phil. Norma Mayetta. Who? Norma Mayetta is her name. She was Eddie's dearest, you see. It should add, but it doesn't. She left town last night for Chicago on the 1 a.m. plane. We checked it. Of course, Eddie Shaft went with a lot of girls. Uh, Excuse me, That's all right. We uh, just got hold of that night cashier over at the Blue Chip. Yeah, what do you say, Money? Shaft took 50,000 bucks in small bills out of the office safe last night. Oh, what time? About 2 a.m. Had it Mm. in a large manila envelope. Yeah. Nothing even close to manila envelopes turned up here, has it? No, Lieutenant, but that gives us another angle to shoot at. All right, Mooney, pass the word to the boys. Okay, Lieutenant. Look, Mono, just a passing thought. 
You sure you're just curious? You sure you don't want to play one and one makes two with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, Lieutenant. Well, look, I'll see. I'll give you a call Hello. if I... Huh? Wait a minute. Yeah? Look, I know all about your professional ethics, you know, relations between client and private detective. Yeah. We won't go into that. We're going to go into something else very briefly, Phil. You know, the law in many points is quite clear, Marlowe. Clear like what, Matthews? Clear like the status of an accessory before or after the fact in a murder case. And like aiding and abetting a criminal. Like a lot of things you know all about, Phil. Keep them in mind, will you? Okay, Matthews. Yeah, I'll see you. Since the lieutenant hadn't mentioned Francis Dragato, I didn't see why I should. All of which made it a good time for me to cross my fingers and check the name which had been on deck on the list in Shirley's apartment. The Drake Talent Agency. The place which was on Sunset Strip was strictly coy colonial from a miniature Mount Vernon front to an oversized mirror-polished brass knocker on the front door that said my tie was crooked. And I was sure that the gentleman who answered the door noticed it. It was impeccable. In cocoa brown gabardine, white high at the throat, tab shirt, and also cocoa brown silk tie. And at the bottom, there were thick-soled cordovans with leather laces. At the top, a crew cut over jet black horn rims. He took the glasses off, and long, soft fingers toyed with one stem while he talked. Yes, sir? Uh, my name is Philip Marlowe. I'd like to talk to Mr. Drake. I'm Mr. Drake. Oh? What was it you wanted, Mr. Marlowe? Well, I'm not exactly sure. You see, I, uh... Hey, Drake, this picture here is Corky Netherlands, right? The third one over, yes. Uh, she's a client of ours. But this picture isn't what you came to talk about, is it, Mr. Marlowe? What's her home address? I beg your pardon. Come on, quick. It's important. And confidential. This isn't a lonely Skip heart spot, Mr. Marlowe. I was playing a long shot when I knocked on your door, Drake, but now it's paid off, so tell me. Any stranger call for Corky's address today? I don't know, and the secretary's already left. Look here, Mr. Marlowe. What's this all about? Murder, Mr. Drake. Murder? A messy one. Now, do you give me the address, or do I start after it myself? Well, I... No, Come on, answer up, Drake. The Towers, an apartment hotel on Ivar. Now, one last thing. Don't call her after I leave unless you want to be up to your hand-stitched lapels in cops. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe, but first... You might think that after several years with Gracie Ellen, George Burns had seen everything, done everything, been everything, but this Wednesday night, you'll find George in a brand new role, that of a Floradora girl, with costume and complications by Gracie Ellen. The Burns and Allen show is heard every Wednesday on most of these same CBS stations, along with the Bing Crosby show and the Groucho Marx program. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Deep Shadow. I left the glossy Mr. Drake in his glossy little agency with his mouth hanging open and drove down to Hollywood Boulevard to Ivar and from there up the hill to a five-story air-conditioned monolith with Venetian blinds called The Towers offered about as much sanctuary as the Yankee Stadium. I parked heading downhill and walked in across the buzzing green and silver lobby draped with pale pink curtains and blasé women to the elevator and rode up to the third floor. Corky Netherland's apartment with the fourth down the hall to the right and quiet, but the door was ajar two inches. So I rapped hard enough to swing it all the way open. The answer sounded like a cry for help from the bottom of a well. When it came again, I went in and it took me a few seconds to realize that the noise was coming from a closet. 
And when I got it open, Corky Netherlands reeled out, looking like she'd been through a threshing machine. She was here. She was after the money. Who was after she what money, Corky? Who? Some dame. I didn't know her, but she... There she is. Shirley! Miss Doyle, wait a minute! It was Shirley Doyle. She'd been hiding inside near the door. She grabbed a handy oversized ashtray and let it fly at us and beat it. I made it to the hall just as the elevator door closed, so I took the stairs and raced it down to the lobby. I got out in the street in time to see Shirley with a large manila envelope in one hand, pile into a sleek new Hudson and take off. I ran to my car to follow her, but that was as far as I got. I was stopped cold. by a nasty little gun in the hands of a southern accent behind a pair of strictly Hollywood dark glasses. Be a good boy, honey, and hold it. Now look, right sister, there. who do you think you are? Now, what are you... I'll ask the questions if you don't mind. Why are you in such a fuss over the girl who just made off? I was trying to get her out of a jam, believe it or not. Well, now, isn't that the darndest coincidence you ever saw? So am I. Only you want to catch her, and I want her to get away. But I guess that's life, isn't it, honey? Yeah, in the raw, in the raw. You said it. We got big business together, her and me. And it sure don't include you. Uh, just a minute. This adds like you could be Francis Dragato. Francis who? A Dragato. Me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that name is much too fancy for the likes of me, honey. I reckon we can break it up now. So why don't you just give me the keys there in your hand? My keys? Come on, give. Yeah, well... That's oh. a good boy. Now, don't try anything silly. And, uh, don't fret, honey. I'll leave your car two or three blocks down the street here. Look, maybe you ought to go back upstairs and... Console little sugar child up there. Maybe take her to a movie or something. You know, to cool her off. Well, that's a nice, fresh thought. I'm loaded with yeah, her. Yeah, you're Try loaded. me again sometime. So long. Dames. <clears throat> Someday I'm going to get a case where there's no dames connected. Either directly or indirectly. Parking my car three blocks away, that's fine, fine. Just fine. Hey, hey, going up. Flower, please, sir. Three. Did you catch her, Marlowe? Did you get her? No, no, she got away. Which leaves you and me, Corky, to make cozy conversation about that mention of dough you slipped on when I let you out of the closet. Come on back in the room, honey. What money? Now, look, you worked for Eddie Shaft as a singer in his club, but what else was Eddie to you beside boss? Just a minute. I don't see what business that is of yours. It's easy, it's easy. He was murdered. The cops have already talked to me, soldier. I'm clean. Those negotiations can be reopened at any time. For one thing, you forgot to tell them anything about dough, and yet they're very interested in 50,000 missing bucks. That 50 grand was right here in the apartment, wasn't it? Well, you can't blame a girl for trying, Marlon. No, not unless she tries too hard. Now, what does the name Francis Tregato mean to you? Francis Tregato? Okay, skip it, skip it. Where'd you get the dough? Eddie gave it to me to keep for him. Why you? I thought Norma Maeda had the inside track with Eddie. Not after he fell in love with me. Oh, no, no, that's not good enough, baby. There was a double cross. Where was it? Now, look, Corky, you might as well be smart about it, huh? All right, I didn't kill him. But if you can get that dough back for me, I'll split it with you. Right down the middle. I'm listening. That club of his is dying on its feet. The blue chip's going broke. Eddie and Norma Maeda raised $50,000 to keep it going. But Eddie decided to get out from under. He got rid of Norma by sending her to Chicago in a trumped-up deal... And he put all that cash in one lump and gave it to me to hold. We were going to run out together. Only somebody got to him, nailed him, and that left you holding the bag with 50 grand in it. That's nice. Except then a girl who belongs in this mess like a great-grandmother belongs in a high hurdle race stepped in and took it away from you. With the help of a southern accent and dark glasses. Who are you calling? A friend of mine at Homicide. Why, you... Sit two... down and shut up. 
So far, you've been lucky, Corky. Don't push it. Lieutenant Matthews, homicide. Marlowe Matthews, listen, on that Eddie Shaft case. Yeah, what about it? I got a couple of things you might be of help to you. Now, look, item one. That missing 50 grand is being sought after by a southern accent and dark glasses. A woman? Yeah, and she pulled a gun on me. Item two. The name Francis Dragato. It ties in. D-R-A-G-O-T-T-O. Ring any bells? Dragato. That's what I said. Yeah, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah, I what? remember, yeah. Yeah, but it's nothing, Marlowe. It's oh. ancient history. Dragato, I knew, was a third-rate burglar shot and killed resisting arrest down the Sandbar District about five years ago, way back when I was a prowl car sergeant. Look, what about this... Tell me, Dragato fe- have a wife? No, no, I think there was a daughter around. Name though. Francis? I don't remember that good, Marlowe. Look, what is this Dragato business, anyway? Well, so far, it's a hunch. That's what I thought. Climb off of it and get down to facts, will you? Who was the dame after that Eddie Shaft money? Where did you run into her? I lost her on Ivar. That's not what I asked you, Marlo. I know that's not what you asked, but anything else would be a breach of my client's confidence. All right, look, Marlo, I'm real serious. I'm going to give you just one hour to notify your client and get down here and spill. After that, I'm putting out a call to have you picked up for withholding evidence. Mm, Matthews ain't kidding this time. You, uh, didn't say goodbye. That's quite a tightrope you walk, Marlo. Yeah, sometimes. Mm-hmm. You're good, and I'm a girl of my word. You get that money back for me, and it's 50-50. You're my only chance. Don't kid no kidder, baby. You're a girl of two words, double and cross. Good night, Corky. Well, I found my car all right, a half a block from Sunset Boulevard. It took 20 minutes to get from there to the Sandbar District. It was downhill all the way. It was a neighborhood squeezed and cramped in by a solid wall of massive factories and as fested as the bottom of a bent garbage can. At the corner of River Street and 3rd, I found the house. Three sagging, rotten stories of tenement that squatted in the eternal shadow of a huge gas tank like a sick, dirty old man. The proud, gleaming giant of City Hall was only seven blocks away. Might just as well have been 70 miles I went up to the door and knocked, and finally it inched open, just far enough for a face the color of dishwater to peek out. She hissed at me for a minute through the gap where her front teeth should have been, and then told me she was Ma Hargis, the manager, motioned me inside. The living room looked like something swept out the back door of a down-at-the-heel museum. So, you want to know about the Dragotas, huh? Yeah, they lived here, didn't they? Maybe, maybe not. Cops got the old man about five years ago? It's possible. What became of his daughter? Where's Francis Dragato? Why? What are you being so cagey about, Ma? Because a bird that asks questions has got an angle, always. <laughs> and the one who knows the answer has got a price, huh? Always. Hmm. Okay, how far will a couple of bucks go? From here to the door. Two bucks won't even buy a buzz on beer these days. All right, we'll make it five. Here. Oh, that's better. <coughs> well, dirt. Dragoto and his kid, Francis, had the second floor here for 15 years. His wife died of TB first year they was here. Oh, she was a smart one, that Francis. Had a hit on her. Mm. She always said she was going to get off the sandbar someday and be somebody. <laughs> oh, I told her she'd never make it. It's too far, mister. Kids down here get dirty. And it's the kind of dirt you can't wipe off. It gets inside of mine, no. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, what happened to her? I don't know. 
When her old man got it, she left and I never seen her again, not to this day. Probably left town and wound up working the gin mills in some other place. Is that they the five bucks do. worth? Huh? Well, <laughs> you bought sight unseen, sonny. Tell me, you got a picture of her? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I have. Good. She was uh, 17 at the time. It's kind of fuzzy, but uh, you can see hey, she Hey, wait a minute, Ma. Uh, are you sure this is Francis Dragato? Say, she lived in this dump for 15 years out. I'm sure I know. She looks like somebody else. Girl who was supposed to get married tonight. I got another picture of Francis here someplace. Wait a minute, a better one. Let me see now. Here, here it is. This was took down on Oliveira Street, one of them stands. Oh, that's her best friend there with her, Norma Maeta. Norma Maeta. <laughs> Norma was a tough little egg. Folks drank all the time and let Norma run wild. Oh, fine. Mm. Francis Dragato and Norma Maeta friends. I'll say. Them two was quite a team. No bad. I always wanted to do something for them girls, but what can you ever do in a hole like this for anybody? You've just done it, Ma. Here's five more. Buy yourself another light bulb. Throw a party with the change. So long. The eyes of one young woman and the chin and mouth of another, side by side, smiling into a camera, had cleared up a lot of questions. But there was one more that needed an answer fast. I called Matthews from the first phone booth I came to, brought him up to date in a hurry, and then asked him to check Norma Maeda's place if that was blank to meet me at the Moore Park Court Apartments, which was the only other likely place I could think of. I crowded traffic lights all the way out, but he and Sergeant Mooney got there almost as soon as I did. And I led them back to Francis Tregato's well-lit cottage, the one she'd taken in her new name, Shirley Doyle. Mooney went to cover the back while Matthews and I moved in up front. Your hunches are paying off tonight, Marlow. Oh, yeah, they're in here all right. Yeah, come on over this way. The window's open. We can catch a little conversation first, you know. It might help. Yeah, if you keep quiet, we can. I'm due in Chicago. Thanks for your help, Francis, dear. Yeah. I had to get this money. Now more than ever. You've got it, Norma, for goodbye. Now that stuffed shirt you're going to marry, you'll never know where you really came from or who you really are. Did you get that? Oh, and one more thing, dear, before I go. Yeah? I killed Eddie Shaft this morning. You what? Heard nothing with you? No, no, no. Hold on. When he put me on the plane for Chicago, I figured something was fishy, so I got off and I came back. And I found out he was selling me short for that little jerk, Corky Netherlands. We had an argument. I killed him. Of all the then I remembered seeing you leave the blue chip last night. I needed someone like you to get the money for me, Francis. Yeah, there's your tie-in. I couldn't afford to be seen here in L.A. when I was supposed to be in Chicago. Not with a murder on my neck. But you were seen by that man who chased me at the hotel. Oh, Marlowe? <laughs> He's still looking for a southern drawl and dark glasses. You're the only one who knows the truth, and That's you're in it with thinks. me now. I'm not going to let you involve me in a murder, Norma. Getting that money was one thing, but I'm not going to be mixed up in a killing. I don't care what it's costing me. I'm going to tell the whole thing. You're a fool, Francis. I got a good alibi for one murder. It'll work for two. Let's go, Matthews. Yeah, you're fast. Come on. Stop me now, Francis. Oh, no. Nobody is. And who's that? All right, hold it, girls. We're police. You're not Back, Matthews! Yeah. Morning, stop her! Hey, stop! Drop it, lady! No! Come on, Marlowe. I... I think she's dead, Lieutenant. She wouldn't stop. She was shooting at me, but... She's a woman. All right, Mooney. That gun in her hand, she was a killer and nothing more. Yeah, I suppose she was. 
If you asked that kid inside, she could tell you what made her that way. Oh, well, let's get out of here, Matthews. Thank you enough, Mr. Marlowe, for bringing Shirley, uh, that is Francis, back to me safely. Oh, believe me, Mr. Kettering, it was a real pleasure. And uh, you, Lieutenant Matthews, for your cooperation on withholding the publicity aspects of this horrible no, thing. Oh, no, it's okay, Mr. Kettering. Glad to help out. We're going to be married, you know, right away. Shirley told me the story and wanted to postpone the wedding, but I wouldn't hear of it. Good. After all, I'm not marrying her for the past. I'm marrying her for the future. Yeah. Best wishes, Mr. Kettering. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow when Shirley's calmed down... Give her my congratulations, will you? Well, after a long cup of coffee and a lot of conversation about people with Matthews, I finally got in my car and headed home to my apartment on Franklin Avenue. Which isn't the best street in town, but it is lined with palm trees instead of garbage cans. And the sun hits it all day long. Yeah, but that reminded me again of River Street, the deep perpetual shadow that hangs over it. A dirty shadow that Mahogas said could never be rubbed off. A shadow that spawns the Nomomaitas of the world. I was still thinking about it while I got ready for bed. I knew Ma wasn't 100% right. I'd seen the exception of the rule. But she was 99% right. Just enough to disturb my sleep. Oh, well. One guy can't change things. Can he? Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Gerald Moore may currently be seen starring in Republic's The Blonde Bandit. Featured in tonight's cast were Lillian Bieff, Joan Banks, Verna Felton, Yvonne Patey, Jeff Corey, Jack Crucian, and Tom Holland. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dubkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time I started with a Romanian from left field, got misled in the Philippine jungles, chased an English accent clear to Venice, and wound up at a Shinto shrine with a friend from Siam, all without ever leaving Los Angeles. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.